To see examples of what we talked about on this episode, along with further information, go to bunchofdorks.com. Welcome, everyone, to... Two Dimension Podcast. The comic book podcast... With no direction. What's up, everybody? You know that song. You know this voice. It's your boy, Rook. And joining me, as always, is the man who keeps it in motion, Mr. Don Moore. Not not real motion, but sort of. Sort of. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Don, I am back. I am refreshed. Colorado is beautiful. Yes. And when I got back, I found two packages sitting on my door waiting for me. It just happens to be... Sunmaker. Oh yeah. Yeah. Ah. Oh. Ryan Crowbar, Sunmaker, issues one, two, and three. Oh, sweet. Now I've only been back for forty-eight hours, so yeah. I haven't had time to sit down and read these, unfortunately, yet. But I have opened them up and these are beautiful. I am having a blast just looking at them. Yeah. I'm going to take a second and talk about some of the fun things that were sent with the package. First off, this beautiful card from the Sunmaker. Let me see the back. The back is just the line drawing sketch. Mm. Absolutely great. I I love the line drawing sketch and then the color on it. it. It's so great. But... Inside the package also was stickers, and we all know I love stickers. <laughs> it's the fragments of the sunstone. Oh, wow. Yeah. How great is that? And they line up to be able to create the actual sunstone. In three parts. That's it's awesome. It's friggin' awesome. It's such a clever design. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, there's a card that came with it that says, you found a piece of sun... Sh- or, I'm sorry, it's not... Sunstone, it's Sun Shard. This is a collectible item for backing the Kickstarter. Save this for for a future book plate. So that came inside with the stickers themselves. But he did something hilarious in order to make sure that the books do not shift around inside the box. Okay. This little guy was holding yeah. it in place. Oh, that's so awesome! That's uh, one yeah. of the ninjas you can get out of the gun machines. Yeah, a little rubber, little little plastic ninja guy, little little rubbery ninja guy holding it in place. I thought that was absolutely hilarious. So great, great packaging on delivery, wonderful. Uh, and then the second package was once again from Ryan. I bought his book, Bright Ideas, Dark Mind: The Art of Ryan Kroboth. I'm not familiar with this one. So this was an add-on to the Kickstarter. This is his work. And there's a great note inside. Thanks, Rook. Hope you enjoy the books. Can't wait to catch up again. Ryan, I can't wait to talk to you again as well. We have a great time. And your, your stuff is awesome, man. So the very first page sun for Sunmaker in it, it shows you the detailed sketching. How he's designed. I love stuff like that. Oh, you will love this book then. Uh, Next time I see you, you're going to have to check this out. 
each page has like color palette work, design work for the characters. It's just it's a fantastic piece. And then as you go through it, you start finding more and more of his work. Cover art that he's done. Oh wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I mean, it's full page in there too. You know, uh, got some great cover art pieces. Game over. He did some Mario based artwork. <laughs> Uh, I mean, this is this is such a cool book, uh, and I'm really glad I put this in as an add-on. Uh, you know, he does he's got his pinups here. He's got he talks about the sketch all the way through to the finished piece and everything. Uh, he's got that. This is a cool two-page spread here. Those are nice. Yeah, side I, by I, side I with the image, it's great. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely love this. Yeah. Of course, we'll we'll have examples of all this stuff on the blog for you guys to look at yourselves. You know, a couple pictures from inside so you can understand how great this book is. And you know, I really don't. I want to tell you that it, he really didn't charge much for an add-on for this. Like to the amount that he should have definitely charged more. For. No, when you, when you say add-on, I mean interrupt you, but I'm curious. Like you got the books. Well, yes. How was the add-on? How did that work? So with a lot of Kickstarters, what you get to do is you you pledge your piece for a specific item, okay? And then what happens is, is they give you add-ons. Um, Lori happens to be the queen of add-ons, uh, <laughs> you know, with pins, buttons, uh, T-shirts, hats, all kinds of cool stuff. Uh you know, so various different Kickstarters will have different add-ons for you to get a little more. And a lot of times these add-ons are things that, you know, sometimes the, an artist or writer has already had sitting, uh, leftovers, extras from other campaigns, um, you know, overruns, things like that. Uh, other times you have people who will actually do, like, extra pieces for the campaign. Uh so with with Ryan's uh, the the campaign itself was for Sun for Sunmaker, and then the the add-on pieces for it that I that I added on was the dark idea uh, the bright bright ideas dark minds mind uh, the art of Ryan Kroboff. Uh and like I said totally a cool piece 100% worth it for me to grab that I was really really happy with. Uh, with everything that came through for this one, you know, and like, I didn't even, I didn't even remember that the stickers were part of it. So these <laughs> stickers are great. I absolutely love these. Um, I'm a huge sticker nut, as I've said a hundred times before, but it's, it's something that, you know, it's little things like this that you get, you get in, in the package and you're just laughing. Like the, the little ninjas, the little ninjas holding the books in place in the packaging, I mean, because there was one in each. There was one in each to oh. hold the books in place so that they don't shift around in the box. <laughs> I want to know how he thought of this. <laughs> what? At what point did you think about this, Ryan, that you had the these little ninjas in there around your house somewhere to stick in there to keep them from moving around? Oh, those, things, those things are so awesome. I see those in bubblegum machines all the time, which bubblegum machines are my dream is to have some in my house just because <laughs> and um one of the girls at the karate school my she was my daughter's age she collected them they used to have them as parachutes 
Yeah. Uh, sometimes we pass them in Hollywood. See, oh, Jen wants those. So we get a bunch of them. Um, I love those things. So it's already a nice package. I really like the art book. Oh, yeah. The Dude, little part... just make it better. That's the cherry on top of a Sunday. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely is. I mean, I, I'm having such a fun time just looking at these pages. I, I can't wait to sit down and actually read through them and check and check everything out. Um, you know, it's just th- this is the kind of fun fun stuff that I love. Uh, you know, the 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 wacky weirdness of finding little ninjas in my package. Oh yeah, well that's <laughs> awesome. <laughs> oh yeah, it's such a it's such a great idea. You know, I mean, like I said, that that's definitely. Ryan, if you're listening, we need you back on the show just to talk about your ninjas. <laughs> but, you know, and it, it wasn't all, you know, it wasn't all no comics the whole time I was gone. I have finally cracked open copies of, of Deadly Class. Uh, yeah. Yep, I have uh, I have the first two volumes of Deadly Class. Uh, finally started reading those. Uh, we'll, we'll talk about those soon when, uh, once I get that all said and done, but, uh, you know, I caught, I caught the TV series, uh, of deadly class. They, they only did one season and canceled it right away after, which I think is heartbreaking because I, I enjoyed the show. Uh, but the book, oh, the comic book is so much better. Just absolutely. I, I'm I just started volume two of it, and it's it's just it's a Rick, uh, written by Rick Reminder, and then illustrated by uh, Wes Craig. So great stylized um, artwork, uh, color palette, everything like that. So uh, I got to sit and read those on the plane. So th- those are really fun books. We'll talk more about those once I finish the two volumes I've got. <laughs> but, you know, also got to check out while I was in Denver. Checked out Mutiny Comics. Oh yeah. We know that that name from R. Allen Brooks. Tried to try to get a chance to hook up with him, meet him in person. Did not happen because he was at a comics convention about four hours away from Denver. Oh yeah. So not enough time for me to escape and go to a comic convention, but there was enough time for me to check out Mutiny Comics. Uh, or pardon me, it's Mutiny Information Cafe, and they sell comics, books, records, and have a bomb-ass coffee shop in there too. Yeah. Yeah. Well, what a place, man. That's yeah. a place. But did you see people getting all three things? I saw I saw a lot of different people coming and going for individual things. Uh, you know, there's. There's tables in the back. Uh, there was some people in the back reading in some chairs, uh, some like comfy chairs and stuff. Uh, we mostly hung out up front, um, drinking coffee, catching up with a cousin of mine that happens to live in Denver as well. Um, place is busy. Well, I mean, the traffic coming in and out and, and going back and forth. Definitely a, a, a spot that you can go, sit down, grab a book. Enjoy a cup of coffee. And one of the funniest things we saw about the place was it has a cereal bar. Oh, where you, I've heard of these, yeah. Yeah, you could take different kinds of cereal, and I, th- I think it's like for three bucks, you get a bowl of cereal, and you can mix and match what's in there 
and everything. Yeah. I thought that was such a neat and different idea. I've never seen a cereal bar before. I've heard of it. I've never seen one in real life, but I've seen them online. People talk. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's, uh, it was a cool place, man. Mutiny Cafe, downtown Denver. Uh, just y'all definitely want to go check that out. And when you get into the Denver area, do not hesitate. Uh, once again, though, I did not make it to Mile High Comics. That's, I, I think that's a neat place, but I think you made the right decision, the one you did go to. It just amazes me and always interests me because you remember when cards were a big thing in comics? Yes. You know, of course like, I do. I have a ton of oh, them. Oh, yeah. You have a lot. Actually, Rook <laughs> was the one that changed my mind. I I didn't understand the appeal to the cards. You know, at the time, this is the early 90s, X-Men cards were massive. Yeah. Now, I, I love the X-Men, and I had a lot of their comics. But um, I remember I just didn't really understand the appeal. And one time I went to this big comic store in town, and there was a young guy that bought them. It was a corrugated cardboard file for cards. And, you know, one of those white boxes had a little drawer that pulled out. And it was all decorated in artwork from the X-Men. I'm going to guess it was Jim Lee, but they had, he had it, I think it was in dark blue ink and you could see visibly, he could not wait to get this thing and get home and put his cards in. He was, he was kind of bouncing up and down. He was, you know, not making a scene, but just himself, he was delighted. And I went to work and I was talking to my boss, who was an engineer and I just said, um, I don't understand the appeal of the cards. And he said, didn't you ever have baseball cards as a kid? Because when I was a kid, that's all the cards they had were baseball cards. Well, you know, but I didn't follow baseball. I didn't understand who the players were, but I did have some. Um, There was illustrated, painted Batman cards from the TV show, which I've talked about. They always freaked me out. They were scary looking. Uh, one I got was Batman caught in a whirlpool. Didn't know what a whirlpool was, but it was terrifying to a four-year-old kid. <laughs> and then my boss mentioned, didn't you ever put them in the spokes of your bike to sound like a motorcycle? Heck yeah. Yeah, of course. That's the appeal of the cards to me. But um, <clears throat> all the stores here in town that I was willing to go to dried up. And um, when I say town, Tampa Bay, not... St. Pete really never had any comic stores at the time. But when we go on vacation, I would always hit the comic stores. And we were down in Fort Myers. And I get the phone book out. This is how long ago it was. And I'd look up addresses, and there was a card store. So I went to that. It was a sports card store. And when I walked in and looked around, there was no comics in it. And the guy behind the counter, he was, I think, really good for that store. But he's, he's sitting there, can I help you, sir? Real curt and quick. And I said, do you have any comics? People are looking for one or the other, not looking for both. And I said, I understand that, but why is it there's so many card and comic stores? Well, maybe their area can't, can't you know, anyway, it was just. But I found it irritating. A lot of them were, were card stores that had a little tiny rack of comics. Yeah. And um, so I didn't really understand the appeal. But I've heard of comic stores and coffee shops. Um, 
I've been to comic stores that sold records, which I don't know. I love buying records. I, you know, I love buying comics. Um, it would make sense, but I've been in comic stores that sell snacks, candy bars, chips, and stuff like that. I never bought mm-hmm. that there. I love those things, but I'd rather go to the grocery store and buy them for. It's like buying movie theater popcorn at a comic store. I mean, it's you know. So that's why I was curious. Yeah. <laughs> you know, um, and I've always said in the past, in the 80s, it, to me, it would have made sense if record stores would have sold Love and Rockets, you know, Threat, um, yeah. Jim, all those Fantagraphics, maggot, black and white magazines. Music people were always asking me if I could bring in Love and Rockets, you know. If they could have, you know, neat stuff, um, what was it, Hate, Eight Ball, all those comics. And uh, a friend of mine was a record collector. Well, people aren't there to buy books. They're just there to buy records. Yeah, but every time you went up to the counter, they always had Rolling Stone. They always had Hit Parader. They always had Cream, which, you know. And um, so I see what he meant, but I don't know. I think somebody go buy a record and, hey, maybe I'll try this comic out, you know. But I don't know. It seemed like a cool place that you went to. Yeah, it really was, man. I mean, just uh, absolutely fantastic vibe to the whole place. Um, you know, uh, I I went up to the counter and I asked them, I was like, hey, I introduced myself and everything. And I was like, hey, you know, uh, this guy, R. Allen Brooks, uh, hangs out here. And, uh, you know, he said that I might be able to leave some leave some leave some stuff behind for him since we weren't able to meet up. Dude, the guy behind the counter was like, oh, yeah, man, no problem. Hold on. Come, uh, follow me. And he just he just came out from behind the counter, took me over to the comics area, uh, found the file for him and was like, yeah, just put the stuff in here. No problem, man. I mean, just like super friendly, super uh-huh. nice, uh, you know, just absolutely cool environment, man. Really was, you know, it's it was, it, you know, and it, it's different than going into a specific comic shop. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Because you get specific kind of people really in there, yeah. you know. Like yeah, us. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like us, you know. But it was such an eclectic group of people coming in and out, you know. Very artistic people, very, you know, uh, very kind of quote unquote normal looking people as well, yeah. you know. So it, it was really an awesome mix uh, going out, going in and out. I dug the place a lot, so uh, you know. It's it's one of those things where, you know, you go to a different city and you want to find a comic book shop. And I've been to different cities and walked into a comic book shop and been like, oh, this is the local comic scene. Yeah, I got to go. Uh-huh. <laughs> you know, like, but in there, I walked in there and I mean, it was it was comfortable, comfortable immediately. Yeah. You know, and that's that's something I miss. I really miss, you know. Yeah, comic stores have. I want to say this. I love going. That's my favorite. Um, but they have a certain vibe to them. I, I've said this on the show in the past. You've seen Pee Wee's Big Adventure, you know. My favorite thing is when he's in that magic store and he's trying on the X-ray glasses and he's looking up and down at this one woman, you know, and. I remember if you get the DVD, it has audio commentary with Paul Rubens and um, Tim Burton. When they get to that scene, they both start laughing. It says, well, 
says, we really gave you the, the creepy vibe you get from magic stores. I thought, well, that could apply to comic book stores, too, if you're not one of us. You know, I'm, <laughs> my wife has been in every comic store from one one coast to the other with me on vacations and never complain. I mean, you know, she understands it's something I like, but there was a one store in Oklahoma City. And. It was nice. And they also had Hello Kitty stuff, you know, and it was it was kind of like a boutique. And when you go in there, it was neat how they had the comics. I was trying to find um, Hammer of the Gods, you know, that one comic about uh, Michael Oming drew. And they had that series, and they also had the new one, Hammer Hits China. And they had the trades, and they had them all kind of together. Yep. And... When you go in there, it didn't seem like they really had too many comics. I thought, well, this isn't much, but it ended up, they, I walked out with an arm load, and um, my daughter got some Hello Kitty stuff, and my wife made it, and we talked to the guy for a while. It was, um, but the guy at the store was really nice, and my wife made a comment, and we left, so that was really nice. It says it was well lit, you know, I mean, it was, it was a bright store. They had nice music playing. Yeah. But all they keep thinking was, how poorly lit and backroom vibe kind of and you know i mean yeah. and they're playing music to well they play music i like <laughs> but, you know i guess it's not to the the poor women that are married to us you know but i i thought of that yeah i guess real comic stores are kind of creepy backroom kind of things <laughs> well they used to be they used to be you know and that's the thing it's like the comic book shops have come so far above and beyond. I mean, it's just, you know, there, there used to be a, con- well, <laughs> there used to be a couple comic book shops in this area uh, yeah. around me that like you walked in and, like, well, first off the one you walked in and the guy's sitting there with a big fat cigar and he's like, what do you want, kid? What you looking for? Yeah. You know, it's just like you're watching the ashes fall all over the place. <laughs> it's freaks you out. Okay. I thought we froze for a second there. No, no, I, I was trying to find something. Sorry. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, and then, there was another shop here in town uh, that they 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 tried they tried to get into kind of like a little bit of like the old school comic war thing uh, yeah. with Yancey back in the day. Man, did they lose. They lost so badly. I mean, it was it was pathetic. Yeah. Uh, I remember I walked into that shop one day and I had a probably $200 in cash in my pocket. I was, I was hunting back issues that day. Uh, I started down in like, I don't know, Pinellas somewhere and just was slowly working my way North until I hit Yancey. Yeah. And I walked in there and, uh, I'm looking around, I'm looking around. I see all the back issue boxes, like in the back. And I was like, Hey, I was like, those are the back issues. And the guy's like, yeah, he's like, you know, but you know, they're in storage right now. The, you know, I was like, Oh, okay. I was like, well, I'm, I'm hunting back issues today. And, uh, he's like, yeah, they're no, those aren't available today. And I was like, oh, okay. Well, cash in hand, I guess I'll go somewhere else. And I just turned around and walked out. And all I can remember about the place was like 
this musty, moldy smell. Yeah, I know this dark, dark lighting, and just like the unfriendliness of this guy behind the counter, like, "Ugh, go away! I don't want to deal with you." <laughs> you know? Like. That's what comic book shops used to always be like. Yeah, always. You know? Like, I don't know. Like, the, the shops that I've been a regular at over the years, those are the places that, like, you walk in the door and, and you get the, hey, man, how's it going? You know, hey, I got your books over here. New racks up if you want to check it out. You know, that's the kind of stuff that I always I gravitate towards. Not like the creepy old, like, this guy is trying to recreate his mom's basement in a store. <laughs> Yeah, it's just wild that way sometimes. Well, they there are changes. I remember, um, as a matter of fact, talking with R. Allen Brooks when he was on. He was talking about Carol Kalish from Marvel Comics in the eighties. Yeah. And one thing people understand, she really changed comics culture in the Mm eighties. And um, one thing she did was basically teach comic stores how to be a store because a lot of them had a cash box or a tackle box. Yeah. Cash box. She started bringing cash registers in, and Marvel Editorial was basically wanting to crush, you know, the the competition. And she says, no, that's not the way, it's not a strong industry. And, again, I always bring this up all the time, broken record time. That was my favorite time in comics, was the early to mid-80s. Yeah. And um, there was enough room for everybody, and a lot of the new companies that were coming out were always saying, we welcome all the new, which absolutely it made it to me a great time to be in comics. And then um, she was hoping to be made um, the editor in chief of Marvel, and they didn't. They went to editorial. Of course, editorial did what they wanted to do. You know what happened in the nineties, you know, which yep. is because of that. But comic stores did change, and they weren't the. Um, I uh, say this, my favorite place to be, but they, they weren't the Greek shows that they were in the past. I remember in the mid um, the mid 80s, this is like 85, in San Diego, there's a new comic store that popped up. And I guess it was three or four guys. And it was it was a good store. But I know none of those guys that ran this store even read comics. And they always had this really even kill voice. And when I come in and buy a couple of comics, they say, are you an avid comic book collector? I like them. I, you know, but I, it was like sports guys that invested because comics are hot. There was another one at Berkeley, California. Again, it was a nice store, but the guy always talked that way. You know, and somebody's asking about a model kit. He goes, no, we sold out of these, but uh, one of our customers got it. The kid did a bang-up job, didn't he? You know, that was the kind of thing. And, um, <laughs> That's what led up to the the nineties disaster. Yeah. But yeah, you know, uh, comic stores. <laughs> most of the comic stores around today, um, completely different animal than what they used to be. But <laughs> and I'm glad for it, man. You know, yeah. it's you know, yeah. Like I remember back in the day, even even with Yancey, even with Yancey back in the day, like. When they first hired, when they first hired, uh, like Brittany and Courtney, and you know, all these girls came in, and I remember, I remember seeing them and being like, "Oh, cool, new new people working at the shop. This is awesome." And then I would watch as 
some of the crappy patrons or just random jerks off the street would walk up and be like, oh, what do you know about comics, little girl? You know, and then I would watch them eviscerate these people and yeah. just like dress them down about their knowledge in comics. And it was great. And you see these faces go, oh, 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 crap. They know comics. I got to go. I got to run. You know, now comic book shops. I mean, it's not. It's not weird to see a girl in a comic book shop. It's not weird to see different kinds of people in the comic book shop, you know, where like for the longest time, it always felt like you're walking into a situation where it's like, okay, what creep do I need to avoid in the shop today? (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, like I said, fortunately for me, any of the shops that I was that I've been a regular at over the years, I've never had that feeling, you know? Um, I've seen those people in there, but they don't seem to last or they change real dang quick, you yeah. know, and, and join the party, the fun that's happening in the shop. Yeah, I, I do agree. And a comic shop, I've always, a friend of mine has always said this, it's like a pub, a good one. Yeah. You know, how many you go, you can hang out and you talk to the people and, um, it's always nice. Um. Of course, you know, back in the day, I remember I used to go to some shops and it was a club and they decided they would include you. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, but usually you go in and the good shops, they want to make you feel welcome and you can talk. And at Yancey, I love Yancey Street. You know, but I always felt like the boring uncle that went to a rave is how I always felt when I went to that. I <laughs> Did you ever see that movie, uh, the Dan Aykroyd movie, Dr. Detroit, from the early 80s? Absolutely. I remember yes. that. At one point, he was a college professor. His uh, parents were, you know, old college. Everybody he knew was older people than him that were college professors, completely out of touch with, you know, modern life. And he gets involved with this um, really expensive, four really expensive call girls, high-end call girls. And he becomes Dr. Detroit, which is a character. Anyway, at one point in the movie, they're at this big happening, this big rave. And his father, who are these people? It looked like Rocky Horror Picture Show. And at one point, they start chanting, Dr. Doctor, Doctor, that's how I felt every time I went to Yancey Street with you. (laughs) I was the only person there without tattoos and, you know. Fantastic clothes and makeup. I was just, hey, how you doing? Yeah, you so good, Jimbo. You know. And anyway, nevertheless, I love going in there because they had all kinds of stuff, but right. I never felt like I was one. Oh man, come on now. Oh, like that place welcomes everybody and oh, anybody. They were, and when I buy something, the ladies you're always talking. Oh, this is so pretty, and but they read it, they knew it, and they'd start talking about it. Yeah. And I, yeah. I'd always pick up stuff I wasn't familiar with, you know. But, no, I mean, I never felt like I was unwelcome. It's just that I wasn't one of you guys. <laughs> I wasn't one of the weirdos. That's okay. Not everybody can be a weirdo. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't say weirdo. I thought I thought it was neat. It was – I told one guy that was at a comic store down there in St. Pete, he says, you know, when I was in my 20s, I wanted to dress like you do now. He was always wearing black leather. looked like a, a rock star. Well, he was a rock star. We played him on the show. But, um, we'd always um, 
I'd make a joke about, I always wanted to dress the way you do now. It was always my dream. He was that eyeshadow, or uh, what was it? The eyeliner. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I thought that's cool, but no, I was never one of those guys. I was just a plain old average guy. <laughs> <laughs> but, well, we talked a lot about this. Let's have a music break. All right.
You can hear our most recent 20 episodes on iTunes. If you would like to hear our older episodes, you can find them on our blog. Just go to bunchofdorks.com and click Click on the Cyclops. Your Dimension can be found on iTunes and Stitcher Radio. If you like what you hear, you can subscribe, rate, leave a review, tell a friend, or like us on Facebook. Thanks for listening. Hello, welcome back. That was Polka Dot Stingray. Uh, I don't really have any information on them, except that I did like these people, and I'll have it on the link on the blog so you can check them out. Nice. They're overseas. How was that for an introduction? Put that on your record album jacket. <laughs> All right. I've talked about this before. Um, there's a book from Valiant called Secret Weapons. Uh, you and I both talked about it. It was a four-issue yeah. series. And they had a zero issue. Now, Rook can tell you that I've never been a fan of zero issues, although... In the past few years, I've bought them. I bought one for the New 52 Wonder Woman that I find I loved. I liked, uh, what was it, Marvels. Marvels had a, a zero issue, which was pretty neat. Anyway, this is Secret Weapons, a zero issue. I thought, well, I like the series quite a bit. I'll get it. It's um, the same writer, but it's a different um, artist. And this one kind of explains more of secret weapons. It's a nice. kind of an origin story of the main character was the girl that could talk to um, the pigeons and, you know, foul birds. It tells her whole story how, you know, she was in school and how they singled her out, brought her into this thing. And I don't know if I talked about the show, but the series takes place in Oklahoma City, which is where I went from first grade to high school and then left. Um, my brother's still out there. My dad's still out there. And usually when all the superheroes when I, I grew up were in New York City. I understand the DC characters had Gotham City, Metropolis, Star City, you know, um, uh, whatever city. Um, but they were all New York. <laughs> and um, one time I mentioned to my best friend, I says, why don't any of these superheroes go to Oklahoma? And he said, I think Captain Marvel went there one time. It was all oil wells. Which, <laughs> saying that, my family in Texas was an oil industry. The town I was born in, Valley View, KMA, and Cadane Corner, were established because they found oil. My grandfather worked in oil. My dad and his two brothers worked in oil. We were oil people. And uh, it doesn't mean you're rich. It just means that you're going to work really hard and come home dirty. But, you know, with life. But um, oil wells were everywhere. Oklahoma City, when I moved there, had four working oil pumps on the state capitol lawn. Yeah. <laughs> wow. And, um, I was a little disappointed when I went there last year that those are all gone. You know, um, they're, they got a spot, but they, they dried up and capped them. But in 67... They had working oil wells, and they had the oil companies, Kerr, McGee, all these others up there. Anyway, I remember a little lot of story. It was a little strip, and at the end of it, she was a big pipe. And she said, what's this pipe? It was massive. You know, a human being could walk over with somebody on their shoulders. So she yells in it. You know, a little lot of it was really strong. 
And then it shows the area of the tech of the pipe is at Texas. And of course, you have two cowboys, you got all these oil oil wells out there. And all these animals, jackrabbits, you know, deer, they're all running out of it. And they wrote in phonetic dialogue, why are they running out of there? And the other says, I thought I heard a yell. That's Texas? It looks nothing like Texas, you know, so anyway. But this one actually looks like Oklahoma City. Um, Oklahoma City that became after I left it. Anyway, I really love this. This one, I have to say, I love the, the four issue series. I talked about it, but when I found out there was this one, I ordered it online. Not disappointing. Uh, if you can get this and the other four issues, Secret Weapons, it's the only Valiant comic I ever bought. Um, I think it was a series in the past. This is an updated one, but basically it's um, it's an organization that were taking kids with abilities, I guess psychic abilities or whatever, and uh, special abilities, and then they lost their funding. Hmm. And they've got these kids hidden. It's really scary. This girl escapes, but they're bringing other kids in. Uh, they don't have funding. I've never seen anything like it, because every time you read about comics, even the bad guys that are always losing, always have massive bankrolls and all this massive equipment and all these minions working for them. How do you afford it? Anyway. So that's Comics in the Modern World by Don Moore. <laughs> and I've lost Rook. No, I'm still here. I'm still here, man. Uh, well, so with that, with that book... Uh, that's that's a continuation then? No, it's a prequel. Cause oh, okay, okay, so that's the actual yeah. whole. Oh, okay. Secret so, Weapons is talking about how they're finding these kids in this organization. Right. And there's a girl that's living living on the streets. She's living on rooftops where pigeons are. You know, she's talking to the birds, and they're kind of running to her and chasing her down. The other kids are there with her. It's kind of tangling in. Anyway, this one basically tells her story. Yeah, where she came from and everything. Does it? Yeah. Do you get to see any of the the characters from the other parts as well, or is it just focusing on her this time? It was it was just focusing on her. I don't remember the other. It did show some other kids, but they're not there anymore. Um, it shows her in a regular life, you know, another place, not Oklahoma City. They basically talk about how, um, you know, a Japanese comic you and I talked about in the past, Mai the Saki Girl, which I'm um, told in Japan was just Mai. But just, she told her father when he came back from a business trip that they had this battery test at school. She didn't really understand what they were, but he seemed to know. And uh, basically, they were trying to single her out. All the tests were basically showing if you had, some, you know, multiple choice questions and stuff. Yeah, they were trying to single her out if um, she had special abilities, and they did single her out. They singled her and six other kids across the world in Germany, uh, Vietnam, United States, and um, Indonesia or Malaysia. Anyway, uh, it was the same kind of thing, but they ended up pulling her out, taking her over to um, this facility. She didn't know where she was at. She was a kid. And it's, you've seen this in movies where they take the kid, next thing you know, they have a shaved head, and they're on a lot of narcotics and stuff and all these tests and don't know what's happening. Stranger Things. It was like Stranger Things. Oh, like Stranger, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, um, you know, I mean, not exactly, but that's the, the type of thinking. And um, 
And some of the kids, they may have the ability, but they don't have enough to perform the way they're wanted. And they're either, they disappear, they're scared, you know, they're, they don't make it, uh, they get rid of them. <clears throat> and I don't, in her case, I think it was one where she wasn't quite performing, and all of a sudden she figures out what it is and how to do it, and bam, all of a sudden she's the best. And then, uh, you know, it basically leads you up to what happened in the four issue series. Um, I really enjoyed this. Um, I've had this actually in a pile for a long time. <laughs> I haven't talked about it. But normally, if it's a different creator, you know, artist, you don't enjoy it as much. I think it's the same writer, but the artists are different. And the art in the four issue series was just fantastic. And I never would have thought I'd like anybody else doing it. But this one, it's a different style, but it it works with what it has. And when you're reading, you think, well, this actually sits in quite nice. Yeah. Now, as a matter of fact, the other, the team that did Secret Weapons were the team that did the Dune books we're talking about, those Dune graphic novels. Well, those, like, yeah, the new Dune graphics. Yeah, nice. because yeah. we talked about the first one, you and Dallas, myself, I said, I'm not sure with these artists. And yes, you are, because they did Secret yeah, Weapons. Yeah, that's right. God, I forgot all about I, that. I, wow. seeing that. I forgot when you told me. So, but anyway, this issue came out i don't know when but i found it online i thought well i want this so i ordered it um i maybe you say a different animal but it kind of tells stuff it's like um if you like you saw saw a movie say lord of the rings mm-hmm. and then all of a sudden they put out a story of how some of it happened on television that's kind of how this one reads but Oh, you, you mean um, the Ring of Power TV well, series? I never saw that TV series. <laughs> you know, but. Which, yeah. I have to tell you, the Silmarillion was boring as hell to write, to read. It is highly entertaining to watch. They have done some. They have done some stuff with the uh, Lord of the Rings Ring of Power series. Uh, it, it's it's basically the Silmarillion. Now, uh, fantastic. I really enjoy it. Okay. Now, everybody listening should know Rook and I are really good friends. I consider <laughs> Rook my brother. <laughs> we're all getting into this one again, eh? Well, we are going to get into this one. Um, <laughs> because I think I'm one of three people that really love the Cimmerillion. I love the Lord of the Rings. I've read them twice. I've um, yeah, I've you, the Cimmerillion. You know who the three people are? J.R.R. Tolkien, his <laughs> editor... And you. <laughs> no, there's um <laughs> Dallas likes the Cimmerillion. And um and a girl my daughter knew in college. <laughs> she was the the Lord of the Rings was her favorite. I met her in one conversation. And then she and I were talking and I just said something about, you know, I really like the Cimmerillion. And um I I'm gonna tell you this again. I've said this in the show in the past. The Cimmerillion came out when I was in high school. Now, I read The Hobbit. I had The Lord of the Rings. And a friend of mine in high school is on the basketball team with me. He wanted to read it. And uh, it took me a long time to read through these books. He just blazed through them. And we were in history class. And he's behind me. You know, you can hide behind me. And he's sitting in his desk, and he's got his nose in that book. He was a good student, so he could get away with it. But... 
I think for a week, he just sat there and was just reading. And then he wanted to borrow my Lord of the Rings books. So I lent them to him. He read them. And he wanted to be a writer. That was always his thing. That's one reason we're friends. We used to make up stuff all the time and, you know, he would write them out, wrote poetry and all that. After he read those, we're in basketball practice and he's just got this distant, stunned look on his face. Like, like Tolkien broke his spirit. What's with you? And he didn't want to be a writer anymore. What? And I didn't know this in a class, English class. He, somebody, uh, the teacher was talking and he just, and like I said, he'd just be looking out the windows. And then the teacher was kind of flabbergasted. And then I was talking to him later when I found out. I said, what is with you? And he says, I could never do anything like that. And he says, I, I can never, you know, J.R. Tolkien, this is one thing people understand. He loved the language. That's why he's always studying ancient language. He's doing drawings, doing all this stuff, but he didn't have any intention of making a story. It was um, C.S. Lewis that did, um, you know, the Chronicles of Narnia, Lion, Witch, the Wardrobe, and stuff. He was the writer, and they, yeah, I love those too. That's one big reason I don't need him because of the Don Treader. <laughs> but he, um, what was his comment? He said that he'll never, um, he'll never be able to get close. Well, C.S. Lewis convinced Dare Tolkien this isn't going to work until you put in a story. You already have the story, and Tolkien didn't feel, feel he was always amazed that C.S. Lewis did those seven books so quickly. He was the writer. Tolkien struggled to put his together. I uh, saying that I, as much as I love, I love them both. But Lord of the Rings to me just resonates. You know, um, yeah, it does. But well, anyway, that was my friend. It was like a religious religious experience to him. He didn't become a writer. I'm sure he does write stuff. But yeah. Anyway, well, he um. The you know what? Go ahead. Go ahead. One of the things with 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 something like Tolkien that you have to understand is this man built a world oh, yeah. first, you know, he didn't go into this with the intention of writing a book. He built a world. Um, he, he, he built the language, the people, and then he found the story, you know, um, which I think is fantastic and a fun way of doing it, you know, uh, figure out who the people in your world are, what motivates them, and then you can write the story about those people. I love that idea. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it absolutely. Anyway, the Simrailing came out in the end of the 70s, and this hardback book was everywhere. And I was kind of like the cover at the time. It was, you know, it looked like a woodcut of um, mountains that Tolkien would draw. But I remember my mom and I were J.C. Penney's at the mall. You know, J.C. Penney's used to sell books and records and toys and everything else. And they had this massive display, piles of books with that on top. It was every store you went to, Ward, Sears, Dillard's, you know, they all had it. And um, when I was talking to my friend, this is, um, yeah, he's got another book. I haven't, I haven't read it yet. I haven't gotten it. My friend like, yeah, I read it. That's how he's saying it. Oh, really? What was it about? Uh, it's about, you know, the way where it starts and how the, the elves go in and, and mine, mine for jewels. Elves mine for jewels. I thought that's what dwarves did. Yeah, they came out and did 
You know, it's exactly how he talked. He he like mumbled through it. Yeah, and I mean, in complete disinterest, just he. It was like if there was a scale of you know how he was before, it went to the opposite end and just stayed there. So I never read it. Anyway, I found a copy in the nineties at the dollar store. <laughs> And I thought, well, okay, it's not going to hurt, so I bought it. I read it. I Again, it was like, to me, a religious experience. As much as I love The Lord of the Rings, when I read that, part of it, I think, is because I walked in not expecting anything out of it. You know, I, well, I was expecting it bad, the way my friend taught. And I read that, and people walked by me, and I was, I was giddy. I was like a little like a preteen reading a, you know, Tiger Beak magazine or something, you know, I, I was so tickled and I'd always have the same people come up. I didn't like it. Yeah. Well, you know, you and everybody else, but it had all kinds of stuff. And I remember I was telling one friend of mine about it. It was that guy that met the woman that had a wolf with him and the wolf could only speak three times. Mm. And then, as the story, there's a little short story, but as it went on, the wolf spoke. And it what? And they did what? You know, they either didn't do, I'm kind of butchering this. But the wolf just said a couple of things. And finally, at the very end, when something was going to happen, the wolf said it again. And they're like, what? And they didn't do or did whatever was going to happen. They did the opposite. And the wolf died. Well, that's right. You can only talk three times. You didn't, you forgot all about that. This was just a series of short. It was like reading the Old Testament, which to me yeah. is the greatest thing in the world. And anyway, all these Lord of the Rings people that I knew, they they had to point out they didn't like it. They were nice about it, but I would tell them, of course, I'm telling, we know, but this is what, you know, and they're like, oh, that sounds kind of cool. Anyway, they put it out again as J.R. Tolkien's Untold Stories. It was a son, you know, and his son said in the forward of these, I was disappointed by guys. Well, these are the Simrillion, except that they weren't finished. I guess yeah. his son kind of finished the stories and put them out as a Simrillion, which to me is how it should be. Yeah. But the untold stories, what he did was he basically just published what his father had and then had notes at the beginning and end. Yep. But he said that Tolkien, his originally original plan for it was... um. He wanted you to be able to buy the whole set, the Hobbit, the trilogy, and the Cimmerillion, all in one fell swoop, yeah. which would only be for the strong. Anyway, yeah. my daughter's friend at college, and we were talking, and I said something about, you know, she'd like the Cimmerillion. I said, you know, it's funny, because I, I loved it. I says, but I says, a lot of people I knew hate it. They just can't stand the thing. And she goes, why? It's the best one. So I walked over and gave her a hug. You know, her friend's dad, she just met. Yeah. I gave her a hug, and then um, I felt kind of bad about it. Holly said, yeah, I don't know. She may be freaking. She was kind of a quiet person. So the next year, and I said, I hope it didn't freak you out. No, I felt special. <laughs> <laughs> so it was me, my daughter's friend, and Dallas. Oh, no, there's another friend of mine that liked it. But, I mean, it's very few of us. Um. Well, you know, the I think the biggest problem that I had reading the Silmarillion was uh, expectation. Yeah. 
the expectation after reading The Hobbit and The Lord of the Rings trilogy was to find another coherent novel. Yeah. And it's not. You know, you probably made the best uh, the best comparison with it uh, with the Old Testament. It is. It's short stories. It, yeah. It's it's little blurbs. It's pieces of stories. You know, yeah. names names we don't know, but it's read. It, you read it in a way like you should know who these people are, and that's that's part of the problem I had with it. Well, and that's in that book, The Untold Stories, I got from the library, didn't really enjoy so much. I did enjoy reading what his son said. And when he was explaining about the Cimmerillion and all this work his dad did, he said, you know, all those stories and stuff that you heard in the, the Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit, it says it was like they came out of nowhere. It was like you had a world with history, you know, and yeah. Sam, Sam and Frodo, right before they destroyed the ring. You know, when they're out there starving, you know, Gollum's out there, you know, and they're hiding from the armies. They're scared to death. And Sam talks to to Frodo, and he said, do you remember when, um, you think, he was talking about how scared he was. You think this is how so-and-so and so-and-so felt before they did this? Yeah. And he said something about, you think they'll ever see songs about us like they did this? All those were in the Cimmerillion. Yes, they you are. Know, the way I read it, I was 13 when I read The Hobbit, and then I was 14 when I read The, the Lord of the Rings. I, I never read them again. Well, again, dollar store, I bought the, um, the Cimmerillion for a dollar. That was a bargain. And I was 33. And I started, you know, after I read The Cimmerillion, I said, well, I'd really like to read this again. So I read The Hobbit and I read The Lord of the Rings one, two, and three, all in sequence. A different thing because all of a sudden you start understanding about the Men of Gondor. Yep. All these all these things that were in The Lord of the Rings. You you read about them in the Sim And when Sam and Frodo were talking about the old songs, all that was in there. And that's one thing his son said was it seemed like they came from nowhere. They didn't. Well, his father had this whole world built, and when you're reading The Lord of the Rings, you don't know this stuff, but you're thinking, well, they seem to know. It seemed like it made a whole world. Well, so my challenge to everybody listening to this, including my friend here, was read The Cimmerillion. Even if you hate it, read it, and then read The Hobbit, and then read The Lord of the Rings, and we'll talk about this again next year. And that's all I had to say on the matter. Because that's how long it's going to take me to read it. (laughs) (laughs) I love you, Don, but yeah. And, you know, here's the thing is I have copies of all of these. I have copies of The Hobbit, Lord of the Rings, The Silmarillion, The Unfinished Tales, uh, even like, you know, real obscure stuff that he wrote. Uh, I have it all. But The Silmarillion is the one that I just never finish i don't know it just it's a hard read it's i don't know at at the point when i read this for six years i had a job i hated and i didn't have any time to myself i I talk about this at times but um i didn't have a spare moment to think Mm -hmm. and I did read but i didn't read as much i didn't just didn't have the the time nor the capacity 
when I left that job, I had a whole backlog of books that I either bought or people lent to me. And I was like a locust or grasshopper hitting, hitting, you know, farm fields. I was just going through everything. And it didn't matter what, I was reading everything. And then I finally got to the Simrillion. I thought, all right, let me read this. And I just read it cover to cover. And um, I just thought, this is the greatest. And if you watch the, the, the three films, there's a lot of the Simrillion in those films. They added, you know, they were able to kind of shorthand some of it because they used the Simrillion. At the same time, that Hobbit, they made three movies, which to me was a mistake. Uh, horrible. But, yeah, but there are a lot of Cimmerillion in those three movies. They should have just made one movie and left it at that, like they did the other books. But yeah. But a lot of that stuff in there, and they changed some things, but a lot of Cimmerillion is in these, these movies. And I see the logic to what they're doing, but I think it's it was rock and roll excess. You don't have to do all that heroin and cocaine and alcohol just because you have leisure time and you can afford it and you're on tour. But um, anyway, if you didn't like the, the Hobbit movies like my friend here, you may enjoy the Cimmerillion like I did. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, all this right. is a comic book podcast. We're not going to keep talking and harping on Lord of the Rings, although we could. Well, we definitely could. <laughs> I'm going to talk about another one that I've talked about in the past. This is the theme here. One billion genies. Eight billion genies. Oh, I remember this one. Yeah. yeah. This is um, it's an eight-issue series. I'm going to flash through the covers. Here's the first one. Second one. Third one. Fourth one. Fifth one, sixth one, seventh one, and eighth. Interesting that the cover art uh, dramatically changed. Are these variant covers? No, no. no. Really? No, they're not. Um, And there's a reason why it dramatically changes. What he's talking about was the the first four are basically a genie. And it's just a variant of it. And I don't know why. I was at the store and looked at these. You know, they're bagged and boarded, so you can't see what's in the comic. And just the cover caught me. It's a simple cover, but it's kind of a a primitive drawing. You know, um, people understand sometimes primitive drawings really suck you in. And um, that's what this was. Anyway, the lady at the store, she saw, I saw you looking at it, and she's talking about... um how customers have been swearing by that book. So I bought the first issue. All right, I'll try it. And um, basically, one day, everybody gets a genie, and they get one wish. Yep. It starts out at um, a little tavern. Yeah, I remember this. Yeah. And then uh, during the tavern, there's a group of people, all, you know, there's a band setting up. There's different kinds of people as you find in the tavern, different things going on. And then I'm trying to think of what happened. Yeah, just out of the blue. Uh, these people have a baby, and then the genies appear. Yep. 
I remember that. Yeah, they just pop up. Yeah, there's 8 billion people, 8 billion genies. That's your genie, and you get one wish. And people are wishing for things, not thinking. Yep. And next thing you know, um, the, the tavern owner, he, he asked a few questions. And he says, so um, we get one wish. And he was asking, you know, he asked a couple of parameters. When he finally found the information he needed, what he wished was that everything in the tavern is a safe haven and untouched by the outside. Stays the way it is now. And they made the wish. And the genie disappeared. He had stockpiled, you know, fuel, alcohol, food. He had everything he needed. He was a survivalist. And the people in the tavern were safe. But some people were making their wish in the tavern. And um, in the band, just to give some of it away, there's a three-piece band, and the girl in the band had the hots for one of the guys in the band. In the band, the girl wishes that the guy that she has the hots for in the band is interested in her. And it turns out to be a mistake. It's things like that. Yeah. And... Basically, the first four issues, like I said, with all the, the same kind of genie covers, it keeps my interest. All these things are happening, but the world turns into a horrifying place. You know, everybody's got, and they're all not thought of, selfish wishes. And the world's a hostile place. And the people stay in this tavern, of course, you know, as always, it doesn't work the way you're thinking it would you know people are people and you know you got some conflicts and agitation and desperation and yeah. i don't know it's like the last three issues man it, it it took left turn after left turn after left turn the next thing you have the whole world divided into factions of people that knew how to organize wishes and uh, there's still a lot of people on the planet that hadn't used the wish yet and they each section of the world that they had these were different one person was basically manipulating and controlling everything in his group other people were it seemed like a nice place to be you still had people holding out still people in the wastelands of the world and some people some of the younger people i guess when you turn 18 you could use your wish and they were going to use the wish for certain things and then at one point in the story they were told not to and they understood why anyway it the last couple of issues which we haven't talked about i couldn't believe what went on and how it worked and i thought you know and it always showed in each issue the genie population human population drastically changing as it goes down, it finally gets down to there's only two genies left. <laughs> really? And, um, and you know, the human population has been reduced quite a bit. But I thought, well, this is... Anyway, um, if you can get this in a trade or two trades, I highly, highly recommend it. Um, I end up getting these at, at my, my shop, um, Nerd Out Comics down in St. Pete. But there's about three issues I got when I was with you at Yancey Street South because they didn't have all the issues. And uh, Yancey had them. When I buy them at Yancey, the guy would be like, oh, yeah, this is a great series. People really talk about this. 
the lady at the store down in St. Pete, when I was talking to her about it, I think she read the first two issues and she kept telling me, you know, other people like it. <clears throat> anyway, as the stories went on, she didn't read any others. Nobody ever read it. And what? that's when the whole thing about you don't crap where you eat, you know, she works in a comic store. And her and her husband own the stores here in, and in Tampa. And I said, well, you might want to change your mind on this one. This was really something else. Anyway, it's, um, I think it's an image comic. Yeah, it's an image. But 8 Billion Genies, um, highly recommend it. I'm not going to give away the rest of it because there's just so many working parts. But the story, I like the artwork to it, but the story really got to me. And honestly, I was thinking at the beginning, how can it, how can this be eight issues? Because, you know, you're getting kind of exhausted reading it, but there wasn't any time where I thought, I'm not buying another issue. I was thinking maybe I would, but there was always stuff happening every issue. And saying this, as the series went, I think, God, I wouldn't want to be around these people in this world. <laughs> and, um, not, you know, I mean, not that anybody was a bad person. It's just there's a lot of decisions made that affected everybody <laughs> in yeah. major ways. <laughs> and, um... You know how it is. Well, don't you know? Be careful what you wish for. You know, and people want. They had people that wish they were Godzilla or something. They're walking around. So why did they wish this? You know, and <laughs> you know. Um, why would you wish to be Godzilla? Makes sense. Well, you know, sometimes the idea of being a giant thunder lizard destroying destroying cities sounds kind of fun. You're living a really regimented lifestyle, I guess, you know, but, um, Run out know, to destroy, I think it'd get boring. <laughs> well, that's the thing, you know, some people wish they had hair, or they wish that, you know, they were built like when they were, they were still in their twenties and they started to go, wait a minute, this is it. The whole world's falling apart. Why do I wish for this? You know, and you know, you wish for the wrong things, but <laughs> it always caught me. And then I don't know. Like I said, it took a hard left turn, and it kept taking left, you know, major left turns. I mean, I did not see that coming. Anyway, the whole ending, oh, well, that's, that's something. Um, You felt like you went through every disaster movie in the whole planet and came out on top. You know, it was, it was a wild rush, you know. Anyway, that was 8 Billion Genies. Nice, man. I'm gonna talk about one more real quick. Oh, all right. What you, What else you got? Can you see? No, I cannot, unfortunately. Oh, I'm not on camera, huh? Well, what is that anyway? Well, I'm gonna tell you. It's Dave Stevens, the Rocketeer. It's a oh, one shot. Classic. Yeah, and it's um, I think Adam Hughes did the cover. Oh, well, yeah. Yeah, I I saw it online, like I always do, and so I told my comic store, can you hold this for me? You know, IDW does all the um, Rocketeer books, which honestly I didn't think I would ever really want to read the Rocketeer after Dave Stevens was gone, because, you know, that was his. But um, I found every series I've gotten, they're short stories, they're fun, and they started making four-issue miniseries. I've... I think I've read most of them. Anyway, this one, I like the cover. It's Adam Hughes, but they've got um, three stories in it. Um, Adam Hughes did one of the stories, which 
I don't, I rarely ever see him do interiors anymore. Um, Jim Lee did, or Jay Lee did another story. Drew it. Um, and Craig Cermak did another one. Anyway, it was nice. Just a one shot, had a bunch of pinups in the back. I had a thing about Dave Stevens, and I guess the money for the comics uh, go to leukemia, you know, That's research, cool. which is how we lost him. Anyway, I really enjoyed this book. Um, it's kind of a superficial thing. You like the cover. I think, well, I like the Rocketeer. I like the cover. Let's get it. You know, but I was kind of expected to be a little disappointed, but I wasn't. It was a fun book. And um, now when I told my store to carry it, I'm kind of afraid that now I'm going to start getting all the Rocketeer stuff. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm, Alan Davis, he drew that um, Avengers War Against Time as a five-issue series, which I really love. But now whenever I go to the store, I always have Avengers in my book, my box. That's why I didn't ask for this. Okay. And I go back the next month. I didn't ask for this. Okay. I pull it out. Finally, she said, well, my husband said you like the Avengers. Just that one series. Alan Davis drew it. I, <laughs> oh, okay. And I, pre well, I appreciate it that he's thinking that and putting it in there. But I... I don't want to read the Avengers. I wanted to read it because Alan Davis did it. So anyway, but yeah. I haven't really hated any of the Rocketeer stuff coming out. So anyway, highly recommend it. If you get a copy, it's a one shot. It won't be collected in a trade unless they do a trade of your one shots. Anyway, and the storms doesn't come, Rook. I haven't heard any rain. Well, I don't know. It's dark out, so I can't see anything. It is dark, but it doesn't mean anything in Florida. We're supposed to our place we live in. <laughs> That's for sure. <laughs> anyway, um, well, I guess you have anything else? Got nothing else for you at the moment, but trust me, I'll be back, and I'll have read a lot of stuff real soon, especially after moving my entire collection. Oh, that's right. That's something. It looks really nice, too. Um, if you're just listening to the show for the first time, I will say that every time I go to Rooks, everything's moved around, and it's always fantastic. Um, being the kind of person that finds a way to do things and rarely ever changes anything after that, I'm always amazed at Rooks because every time I go in there, it's vastly different. Sometimes windows are gone. Um, <laughs> Everything's moved around, and I think, well, that actually makes sense. When he tells you to move things around, why well, it's really nice. And I go in, oh, it is nice. Yeah. And the yep. windows disappear, reappear. Um, it's always unique. <laughs> it's a transforming house. My house is a giant art project. Just think of it that way. It, it is, and it never, it never seems like the same place every time I go there. Even when I went there quite often, you know. I'm, well, it changes even the outside, uh, the back, the back lawn. I'm always kind of amazed at what you and, and your wife do. So oh, something else. Transforming. This, this is what ADHD gets you. <laughs> <laughs> well, it doesn't seem like an unhealthy thing. It, seem, it seems quite nice. So, all right. If you're listening, everything we talk about will be on the blog, uh, images, links. Uh, so if you're interested, you can go find more stuff. Um, we have a t-shirt on the sidebar of the blog. If you listen to the show, wear the shirt. 
And if you would like to have your comic reviewed, do you have music you'd like played on the music break like we did tonight? Or if you'd like to come on the show, we have contact page. You can find all the information there. Anything else, Rick? Check us out, bunchofdorks.com. Click on that Cyclops. You can find examples of everything we talked about on this episode and so much more. But until next time, everybody. Read. More. Comments. Comments.